Nehemiah chapter 4. Have you ever faced waters that got in your way to do what God had called you to do? You ever seen God open up those waters for his glory, his kingdom's sake? Nehemiah found himself in a place like that. God had called him to build a wall in a short time, and it was physically really impossible with what he had to work with. But the Lord is doing a miracle. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we are this morning. Titled this message, Stay the Course. Now my voice is in and out this morning, so please be patient with me. And if you can't hear me at all, just do your thumb like this, okay? Nehemiah chapter 4. If you are with me, say, bought a Honda, should have bought a Hyundai. Bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Hyundai. Now, all the people, some people are like, American-made only. They're not going to be able to focus right now, but I'm a Kia guy myself. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at the first first few verses. We'll go to verse 4, and then we will pause and discuss it. Now, in Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, now he's a comedian, look what he has to say. Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Nehemiah prays. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Okay. So this, if Taylor Swift wrote her song, Haters Gonna Hate, this is, this may be the chapter she got it from, okay? Opposition to the work. And it's very spiritual in nature. I know it looks physical, and it manifests itself out in in physical, fleshly, verbal ways. But think about this. Jerusalem is God's city. Okay? Satan is a very real enemy, and he does not want this to happen. And so I know it's easy as we go through this chapter to see all the physical things happening, but I want to encourage us this morning to try to find the spiritual opposition. Maybe the things that you can't see and see how those things flesh itself out. Satan has a goal. Satan's goal today and his demon's goal is for us to live a compromised and fruitless life filled with rebellion towards God. Did you know that that's Satan's goal? You say, well, I don't believe he's real. Friend, if you don't believe he's real, he's got you right where he wants you. 
And he's got, he's got many people here today that you don't believe he's real. You may say, well, sure, I believe it's Satan, but you don't. Because when you go home and when tomorrow, the next day, you don't live your life like he's real. Now, here's ordinary demon activity. Attempts to entice us to sexual sin. False truths about Jesus. False religions. Drunkenness. Bitterness. Lying. Idolatry. So that's what the demons, that's what they want you and I to fall into, okay? Extraordinary demonic activity would be torment. Counterfeit miracles. Accusation. Death. Physical impairment. Here are some tools of the enemy I'd like to point out in Nehemiah chapter 4. So if you're taking notes today, uh, we're going to look at a few different tools that the enemy uses to knock us off course. Verses 1 through 4, number 1, psychological warfare. Psychological warfare. The first weapon the enemy used was scorn. That word scorn, it means contempt towards something. Look at the language there. Samballot, he was not a nice guy. He was angry. He was enraged. Has your mother ever told you to get glad in the same pants you got mad in? Mine has. Um, The children are like, what are you you talking about? Exactly. I, I don't know. But he was mad. He was enraged, the Bible says. And look what he did. He jeered at the Jews. He almost snarled. It was almost demonic. They called them feeble Jews. Racist remark. Just heaping negativity. You know, Satan is a mocker. Did you know that? He's a mocker. Scorn is an instrument used by ignorant people who are filled with jealousy. Often that's the time. That's, that's what it is. And it can be demonic or it can just be plain old flesh. Scorn, ridicule, is an instrument used by ignorant people that may not know all, have full access to knowledge about a situation who are filled with jealousy. Forms of, of oppression often are peer pressure and manipulation, fear, guilt, and shame. You know, God doesn't want us to live in those things. He doesn't want us to be wrapped up in those things. And then the enemy knows how to play on our mind psychologically. He plays on insecurities. And he plants seeds of worthlessness, depression, anxiety, not being good enough to fit in. And all these lead to a broken spirit. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to break your spirit. That's what he was trying to do to Nehemiah. You see it? He starts with Sambalat. Then he brings in another guy. And they are trying to break the spirit of Nehemiah. Because see, if they can break the spirit of Nehemiah, you know what happens to that wall? Doesn't get built. It's over. Mission accomplished. So they're not really uh, trying to do anything else but break Nehemiah's spirit. They're trying to stop him. You know, Satan comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. Now, I love this. Look how Nehemiah, look how he answers the ridicule. Anybody notice what he does after the fox comment? What's he do? He prays. He prays. You say, that's so simple. Yes, but that's so powerful. 
That was the, the most brilliant thing he could do in this moment. He prayed. Prayer is the, the thing that moves the arm of God. Satan wanted Nehemiah to stop. Satan wanted Nehemiah to stop working on the wall and to stoop down and to argue with Samballot and Tobiah. So if Nehemiah would have come off the steps and just gotten this little uh, middle school argument, that's exactly what the devil wanted. But Nehemiah didn't fall into that trap. No, he took it to the Lord in prayer. He stayed the course and he put on the full armor of God. Next we see in verse, uh, he, he prays this prayer, basically in verse 4. He says, God, would you plunder them? And then verse 5, do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This is a bold prayer. Now verse 6 through 7, so we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. When Samballad and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Verse 8. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Here's another tool the enemy will use. Physical harm. Physical harm. There are churches today that are having to watch out for physical attacks from the enemy. Now, in chapter 2, verse 10, there's two enemies. Sambalat and Tobiah. Here in verse 19, you'll see uh, chapter 2, verse 19, there are three and then here in chapter 4, verse 7, there's a whole horde of people. There's a little army. You know, Satan is not short on manpower. Did you know that? He's got a lot of people. A large army. There's an entire army breathing down the neck of these people trying to build this wall. Now, kiddos, I have a joke for you today. Did I say that? I mean, I wasn't supposed to say joke. I was supposed to make you think I was talking about history. You like history? Anybody like history? Some of you? Okay. I just ruined this. Where did George Washington keep his armies? In his sleeves. In his sleeves. Okay. You'll get that later. Ask your grandpa to explain that to you. Get it? Sleeves? Armies? Okay. All right, that did not work. I didn't set that up right. <laughs> Stick to the word, okay. So there's an, there's an army, a lot of them. Now, Nehemiah, how did he respond? Stay the course. He prayed. Prayed to our God. He set a guard as a protection. I thought about our security team outside today. Set a guard He said a guard that was out there all day and all night. Stay the course. The next attack, the next way that Satan tried to distract and stop the building of the wall was this. Verse 10, hopelessness. Hopelessness. There's a lot of people in slavery and in bondage today, spiritually, 
because they're hopeless. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants people to be hopeless. Hopelessness. Pessimism. The workers, they were discouraged by the size of the work. Look at verse 10. In Judah, that means among the Jews, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling, is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. You see, they started being filled with hopelessness. They started looking at the size of the mountain. They started looking at the the sea in front of them. And they said, we are not able. Which is a lie. Because they had the Lord to help them. With God, nothing is impossible. They were agreeing with the enemy. See, in this moment, when they started being filled with hopelessness, they started agreeing with Satan. Isn't that something? I don't want to agree with that guy on nothing. But they, they began to agree with him. Do you find that happening in your life? Do you find that happening in your situation? Yeah, maybe I am worthless. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm never going to get over this sin in my life. Maybe I've blown it. Maybe it's too late. See, all that's lies from the enemy. That's not from God. This morning, we need to stop listening to the devil. Start listening to the one true voice that matters. God's voice is the voice of hope. Discouragement and complaining can spread rapidly and delay God's work. Look at Nehemiah. He stayed the course. He prayed, he watched, and he built. Now, verse 11. And our enemy said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. This is getting serious. They're ready to go to war, these people. Satan is at the point he will do whatever it takes. Now, do you know that Satan is on a leash? Do we understand that this morning? That if God wants to put Satan in time out, he can. There's a missionary by the name of James O. Frazier from England. His mom and dad got a divorce when he was in high school. And he goes to college. He was an engineering student. And he ended up he was sitting in the library studying. And he had a little pamphlet from his campus ministry. And he began to feel a call to go serve the Lord in Asia. <clears throat> so at age 22, he set sail for China. He goes to China, and God had called him to minister to the Lysu people. The Lysu people, filled in these mountains... Just they're mountain folks. You may have been to West Virginia. Exactly. Mountain folk. I mean, they can, they can cook, they can play a banjo, all that stuff. And so these Lysu people were very separated from all of the world. They're in these mountains. You really couldn't get there. I mean, you had to climb through the mountains to find these people. It's in the Yunnan province. And so James Frazier, 22 years old, for six years he went trying to study the language. They had no written alphabet. None at all. Just a verbal language that had been passed down through generations. 
He tried to share the gospel. He tried to learn their language. He tried to write on the wall. He tried to write in the dirt. He tried to do everything he could for six years. And nobody came to faith. His 20s, his best years, nobody came to know Jesus. He faced hostility. He almost drowned in quicksand one day. He got shot at many times. Uh, He got tied up and beat up. One day a group was chasing him. They were determined to absolutely kill him. They were chasing him through this large valley. And he he looked behind him. He could see him. And he prayed that God would make him faster than them. And he outran them. He outran a group of people. A white man from England. He out, that was racist. I shouldn't have said that. He outran them. It's a, it's a miracle. You, one person can't outrun a lot of people. But he did, and he survived. Now, you think you would have taken it to the house after that? It would have been tempting. His breakthrough came only when this happened. He asked his partners back home in England. He challenged them to pray. He says, I'm not asking you just to help in prayer as a sort of sideline, but I'm trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare on you. I want you to take the burden of these people upon your shoulders, and I want you to wrestle with God for them. Wow. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the, I believe, the hidden theme in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Prayer is what the enemy does not want us to do more than anything else. Prayer, if a person that prays just a, almost a half-hearted prayer for 30 minutes a day will do more for the kingdom of God and more for the church than a healthy, brilliant, creative, wise human apart from any prayer. More for the kingdom. Prayer. So back here in verse 11. Verse, I think we, we just read verse 11. Yeah, they were going to attack. Verse 12. Here's another thing that Satan will attack you with is fear. Fear. F-E-A-R. Fear. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all dis- directions. And said to us ten times, you must return to us. Now who's coming to talk to them now? Their own people. That's terrible. Not even the enemy. It's their own people that are supposed to be helping them. They came ten different times. You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans and with their swords and their spears and their bows. Let's pause right there. Ten times they came to Nehemiah. The enemy tried to stop Nehemiah from building the wall. And then here in verse 14, you see Nehemiah's response. And I believe it's one of the most epic, awesome verses in all the Bible. Put this not on the inside of your house, but let's write this on the outside of our houses. 
be awesome. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You see, Nehemiah said, don't you start falling into the trap of believing that you should be afraid when God has called you to build this wall. Isn't that an awesome verse? Man. The rest of the story is James Frazier. By the way, he had to ride a horse. And then when he couldn't ride a horse, he had to climb. The breakthrough finally happened after these people began to pray. He battled depression. He battled many things. The first, the next uh, four years, 600 people came to know Christ. 600 people. Now today, according to joshuaproject.net, there are 916,000, I mean, I'm sorry, 916, yeah, thousand. Math was not my strong suit. Lysu people in the Yunnan province today. Okay? And at one time, there were 600 people who were believers. Today, there are 732,800 Lysu people who know Jesus. That's probably one of the greatest missionary success stories ever. And you probably have never heard of it. Isn't that incredible? All because some young English guy said, Lord, I'll go and I'll serve and I'll fight and I'll build the spiritual walls of these people. Now, eventually he came home on furlough. He got married to a Methodist, uh, a Methodist mission, MK, missionary daughter who grew up in um, Kunming. And then they, they together went back and they sent more missionaries. 732,000. He created the alphabet that they use today for the Lysu people. Took churches to send them. It took prayer warriors. It took the China Inland Mission to guide them. Light bulb moment happened in the life of James Frazier. Light bulb moment happened in the life of Nehemiah, verse 14. Verse, verse 15 says... <clears throat> When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. Now, a lot of men are going to leave this service and try to tell their wives God's calling them to buy a new gun, even though they already have 13. Are you guys awake? I'm just making sure you're awake. Okay, verse 18. 
Buy them while you can, is all I say. Verse 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, not a military general, but he found himself having to lead soldiers in this moment. Verse 21, So we labored at the work, and half of them held their spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now when it says we didn't take off our clothes, it's talking about the armor. It's talking about their military, uh, they're ready for battle. And so they had to, if they slept, they slept leaning up against a wall with their battle gear on. This is incredible. All these people had different jobs. My question to all of us today is, what's, what's our job in the local church? What are you doing? We have a great need. We need probably 10 more volunteers in the sound and AV up there. At least 10 more. Our welcome team, we need four times more people than we have right now. If you want to serve up in the sound booth, please, um, because we really don't have a, I guess, a main leader. Kendra has been helping us by God's grace, right? Kendra's been, and then Chris Hansen and, and all these people and Logan, and they've been getting us through, but we really need a leader. And the leader's main responsibility is just to put a schedule out, okay? This is where so-and-so is going to work. This is when the training's going to be. And I, I think we should have trainings every single week for that. We should, we should have trainings all the time. We need to do the best that we can to make sure that People aren't distracted from the gospel message. So we have welcome team. We, we have a parking issue. There's, there, we have too many guests, I mean too many church members parking in our guest parking. And then we don't have enough handicapped parking. Now, how, now if we care about lost people and we want people to come to our church, we need to be thinking about these things. And we need four times more people to serve on the welcome team. And so if you want to sign up for that, please send a... Uh, so, RJ can help you find places of ministry anywhere. But here he is right here. Uh, Rebecca Compreta in our church office. She can help you. And right now, I think uh, Joy uh, Leonard, if you don't know her, uh, she's somewhere. I don't know where she is. She's probably talking right now. And, uh, and then Rich Mahoney and his sweet wife, Sue's helping out with that. Just talk to them. Say, sign me up. If you want to do children's ministry, talk to, hey, Lacey. Lacey, raise your hand. See Lacey. We have... All these people come to our church, and we all need a job. And more importantly, maybe God's calling you today to start praying. Start praying. That's what the enemy doesn't want you to sign up for. And anybody can do that. Maybe God's calling you to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe God's calling you and your small group just to be the fellowship planner. Hey, we're going to Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, if, you, if you're the fellowship planner, you get to decide where you're going. We're going to go 
um, show up at Pastor James Reardon and Mary's house just when we want to. If you're the fellowship person, you can plan that. We're going to go bowling. We're going to go skydiving. We're going to rent out a shrimp boat and go try to shrimp all on our own. I mean, if you're the fellowship person, you get to decide these things. Life's what you make it. Life's too short to just go to work, come home, do a few chores, watch TV, go to sleep, get up the next morning, take a shower, hopefully brush your teeth, go to work, come home, do some chores, watch a little bit of TV, read a book, go to sleep. Life's too short for all that. We have Jesus and the world does not. We need to wake up. We say, God, where are you at work? I want to join you right there. James Frazier had a breakthrough in his life. He says, much of the spiritual teaching one hears does not seem to work. (laughs) I agree. But I have found the cross of Jesus Christ still worked. He was battling depression. He says, I felt like a man perishing of thirst to whom some beautiful, clear, cold water had began to flow and had so much to learn. It seemed as though God was saying, you are trying to do a big work among the Lysu people, but I'm wanting to do a big work in you, yourself. And then this is what he wrote in March 1916. The aim of satanic power is to cut off communication with God. To accomplish this aim, he deludes the soul with a sense of defeat covers him with a thick cloud of darkness, depresses and oppresses the spirit, which in turn hinders prayer and leads to unbelief, thus destroying all power. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to be plugged in to the Lord. Today, if you're not right with Jesus, you can be. Come, just admit, God, I've been believing all these lies. And Lord, I want to ask you to deliver me. And God, I want you to forgive me and my part in believing those lies and my part in acting out on those lies. And God, would you forgive me and clean me up? And the Bible says God will and forgive you. You come today, is during our time of response. If you don't know Christ, you may say, I know about the Lord. I walked the aisle as a kid. But if I died today, I'm not sure where I would go. Because, see, my life is all about me. Maybe that's you. That's most Americans. Your life's all about you. May I remind you, God created the earth. He created you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And how dare us when we complain about giving up one hour a week for him. He's the king of all kings. He created the fish in the sea. He calls a chicken to lay an egg. He's good. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. How will you respond to Nehemiah chapter 4 today? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just to minimize distractions. Maybe you realize you have, maybe you're like me, and you realize that you haven't been praying enough. You realize the most secret weapon that we have at our disposal, you haven't been using it. So maybe today you need to ask God to help you have a prayer plan or a prayer schedule or or maybe to learn how to pray.
Maybe you need to ask a believer. Maybe somebody that's a, a much older believer to ask you, to teach you how to pray. You respond as God leads you today. Father.